For this episode, you're going to need a good supply of body bags. Today, we are doing a playback review of the 1982 action classic, First Blood, starring Sylvester Stallone. We were going to do First Blood last year because 2022 actually marks the 40th anniversary of the movie, but we didn't. So the first episode of the new year is First Blood. On the pod, we discussed the 10 years that First Blood spent in development hell, some of the differences between the film adaptation versus the original novel by David Morrell. We do talk about the cast, Sylvester Stallone, Brian Dennehy, Richard Crenna, David Caruso, and Jack Starrett. And we also discuss some of the casting alternatives, including Steve McQueen as Rambo and Kirk Douglas as Colonel Troutman. And we end the conversation with a question. Where does First Blood fall within the canon, if you will, of Vietnam vet movies like Born on the Fourth of July, The Deer Hunter, Coming Home, Dead Presidents, The War, stuff like that? Is it in the top three? All right, don't push it, or we'll give you a war you won't believe. And we'll start with our playback review of the 1982 action classic, First Blood. But you were saying it's, it's perpetually evergreen and timeless? Uh- it well, it, it, it's of a time, but the same. T- but however, at the same time, it is timeless, you know. And man, it may be like my favorite action movie. I had mentioned this on the podcast before. Wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Your favorite? It's up there. It really is yeah. up there. I mean, okay. think about it. It's it's a lean comes in at a lean ninety minutes, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it. Out the gate, like it sets everything up very quickly so that you know this is what it is, and then it's off to the races, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's just, it's just great, man. It's just great. And this is the period where Stallone is like, think about it, he really created two. I hate to use the word mythical, you know, because that's a little too large, but he created these two, uh, let's say American characters, you know. Mm-hmm who really represented this larger than life. That's a better term. That's a better right. terminology. It's larger than life, uh, underdog quality that all Americans, that many Americans rather can appreciate, you know? Yeah. And then you got Stallone with those sad puppy dog eyes, you mm-hmm. know, like he always works best to me when he's the underdog, you know? And both characters in Rocky and Rambo, they're about overcoming adversity. And they have their own themes too, musically, when he's overcoming these challenges. With Rambo mm-hmm. is, dun, 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 dun. and you know, he's either busting out of somewhere, <coughs> he's overcoming, mm-hmm. you know, being hunted down by these sheriffs, or he's just driving a truck right. through a barricade, you know? So it's yeah. that larger than life quality that, you know, really makes Rambo accessible, but then at the end, where he's relating these memories, this PTSD that really brings the point home and solidifies the whole movie as well. He's, I, I don't think you're wrong about that. I, um, in terms of, uh, I never thought about the, you know, Rocky and Rambo both being about kind of like outsiders, mm-hmm. uh, people who are kind of, you know, seen as misfits in society, even though, and also, too, like both of those, I you know, he takes these super tropes, you know, the boxer who overcomes or the soldier who comes home yeah. and feels and feels out of place. And he he doesn't turn them on their head, but he definitely um, executes them well. And, and in Rocky's case, you know, he gives it all of this heart mm-hmm. and, you know, and all, you know, you, you love Rocky and you love Adrian and you hate. Paulie, but you understand, you know, yeah. why Paulie has to be because he's, you know, he's it's going to be his future brother-in-law, and um, and even in the case of Rambo, again, you know, this soldier who comes home and he, you know, he feels like, you know, he feels disconnected from society. You know, the life that he lived is is behind him, and now he's got to try to adjust. Um, and a lot of soldiers talk about when they come home from. Uh, serving in the military and certainly, you know, serving in in a hot zone and and in in you know in a, in a war, mm-hmm. that you know the military's big thing is is you know you got my back and I got your back. You know, there's there's very much a brotherhood or a sisterhood or a uh, a kinship there between the uh, the soldiers 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so when they come back home and it's back to every man for themselves, every woman for themselves, um, I get mine, you get yours, um, you know, this kind of, you know, anti-socialist, socialist, not socialist, but, um, you know, the ideas in our society where, you know, we don't want to act as a community and help each other. It was just... I work hard and I help me. You work hard and you help you. And that's the only way it can go. Well, no, mm-hmm. you know, in the military, they don't do that. And, and, you know, and yet all conservatives, you know, they love the military, but they don't realize that the military is a very socialistic situation. We're yeah. all taking care of each other. We're all eating from the same, from the government plate and from the government dime, our clothes, government dime, our healthcare, government dime, all the equipment we're driving, government dime, you know, and we look out for each other. That's, that's what they're supposed to do. So, Mm-hmm. Um, but I never, I never really thought about that, but I'm trying to think for me in terms of, I think what you're saying too about first blood is true. It, it does something that a lot of action movies fumble the ball, uh, on when they, when they try to do it. It's, it's a simple idea, but the emotions and some of the themes yeah. behind it are what's complicated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's just a guy who's a drifter and he goes into the wrong place and he gets hemmed up with the cops and they push him too far and, you know, ass whooping ensues, <laughs> you know, un- until, you know, he's finally stopped. That's it. That's th- yes. that's the plot. Mm-hmm. But there is character there. There is, you know, again, loneliness and. PTSD and trauma and, you know, society says do this and now they say do that. And, you know, these, these, you know, these hick sheriffs and hick, you know, police officers in this small town of Hope, Washington, who are trying to preserve, you know, we, we like it boring here. We like it plain and we don't want any drifters or whatever. Well, I mean, it's a free, it's a free, it's a free society. He just want to get something to eat. He came to visit a friend, mm-hmm. you know, the, and, the, and he doesn't have to fucking tell you that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like he could have said, oh, I was visiting a buddy 10 miles up the road and, you know, I just stopped in to get something to eat, you know, and, and, you know, he didn't have to tell you his whole life story, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, but I, I do love it. I don't know if it's my favorite. It's definitely in my top, probably in my top 10, Mm, you know, probably in my top 10 for sure. But I don't know. I don't know if I would say it's my favorite. Now it is other than Rocky. It is one of my favorite Stallone performances, and I was going to ask you later on about that. Uh, we can wait and get into it later, but sure, um, it is one of my favorite Stallone performances. And he was—you talking about puppy dog eyes? This is peak, good-looking Italian stallion. Yes. You know, olive tone skin, dark features. Um, I mean, he's looking like a Mort Drucker Mad Magazine drawing of Sylvester Stallone come to life. Like he, yeah. he like that, it's, you know what I'm saying? It, it, Mort yeah. Drucker didn't exaggerate much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. And, and just so. literally like him getting not only into character as far as the uh, script wise, but mm-hmm. he really was fighting the elements. It really is cold as hell out there. And all he had on was a tank top, yeah. you know, and a piece of tarp. You know, he right. talked about that in the um, in the featurette, you know, just saying like, man, I, I wish <laughs> I wish, you know, Rambo had picked up one of the sheriff's coats and put it on. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that would that would have been sexy and warrior like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and funny that you would mention that because that's actually what sets the tone of the movie, not the tone, but that's actually what lets the audience know what kind of movie they're about to see. You know, he's just this GI with this, you know, he's got the army jacket on and the boots and he's walking and hitchhiking and sheriff and da-da-da and he gets arrested and he busts out of uh, jail. He's got the tank top on. But once he puts that tarp on as kind of a tunic and then ties it with a rope, now you know he's like a super super soldier. He's like a warrior. He's That's his warrior outfit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, and that's when it goes primal too because – once he has the tarp on, it's wrapped around. He really is like one of those Greek warriors, you know, mm-hmm. that you hear in like myth. Like even down to hunting the boar and having to yeah. eat that in a cave. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And he's just mm-hmm. there just by firelight, you know, and mm-hmm. just just it, it, it really touches on just a lot of those things. And even while I'm going along the um, the trope of like Greek myth, he has to traverse through the underworld when he gets trapped in mm-hmm. that tunnel. 
Mm-hmm. He goes through the underworld to mm-hmm. try to find his way out. And when he finally finds that fresh air, that opening, he's reborn again. He's had mm-hmm. a second chance. He's mm-hmm. gone through the underworld and now he's about to be reborn again. Maybe mm-hmm. he has a second life, you know, second opportunity mm-hmm. to get what to get what he feels is right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, yeah. he's he's in that he's in that cave or that whatever that uh that thing is, that shack that he's in. Oh, it's a mine. It's a mine. It's a mine. You're right. It's a mine. And he's got a gun. He's fighting off the uh, the reserves and the uh, the National Guard guys who are up there. But mm-hmm. then he runs out of bullets, and then they they shoot him with the uh, with the bazooka. Yeah. And and blow up you know the mine. And so, like you said, you think, okay, well maybe he's dead. Maybe he didn't make it. And then, like you said, you see him. You know, he lights the fire, and then he crawls through, literally through the muck and the water, and and through the uh, you know the rodents and the filth and the vermin. And comes out the other side, and and then ex- exacts his uh, his vengeance. But mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier about it coming in at, at ninety minutes. I th- um, the uh, this movie came out in eighty two. Yeah, fifteen million dollar budget made one hundred fifty six million dollars. Wow! In the studios, yo, that was that's, that's crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. that's absolutely crazy. And to the time of the movie, my understanding is the original first cut of the movie, and all all first cuts are long, sure. was like three hours and some change or something like that. They had that much footage. Wow, that would have been a total mistake. Even if it had gone over like two hours, that would have been mm-hmm. a mistake. It plays lean as it is. Like, it is perfectly paced. Perfectly. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And 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 just the idea that he cut it down from literally from three hours, he cut it in half. And mm-hmm. so, like you said, there's <clears throat> there's no fat left on the bone. Mm-mm. There's there's none of that. There's, it's just all lean meats, like that boar that he kills and carves <laughs> up in the cave, yo. It's just, <laughs> it's, and he's just carrying it on his shoulder. It's, it's it's all lean and it all works. And you know, if they were making Rambo today, it'd be two hours and twenty five minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you know they be they be sequelizing it from the jump. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding of uh, Stallone was the uh, you know was the star of the movie, um, and my understanding is is once he saw like one of the early rough cuts of the movie, he didn't even want to release it. Mm. You know, he was against releasing it because it was so kajung- it was so confuzzled and and uh, and just didn't work. And you know, and a lot of first cuts and second cuts of movies just don't work. Yeah, and it was only when they got it down to the ninety minutes that it actually worked. But he 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 didn't even want to release it. He wanted to buy the movie back from the studio, mm. and and just not have it come out because he thought it was a career killer for him. Mm. Now think mm. about that. They were they made two more of these, right? Uh shoot, they made one. Let's see, was it three uh, or two? Two, then part three, uh, then years later, Rambo, and then you mm. have. The last one, Last Blood. Ugh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so technically, yes, four more. And they got okay. more and more ridiculous away from right. the actual, what this movie is. So right. much so. And this, and this one is, I've only seen Rambo 2. I didn't okay. see the rest of them. This one is so superior to the others. Like, almost on different planets. What, did, did Ted Kochev, the director of this, of First Blood, did he direct? Uh, any of the others? Uh, he did not. He only did this first one. Uh, the second one was directed by shit. I think it may have been directed by by Sylvester Stallone himself. <laughs> I think. Uh, you know what? I, I think you're right. I do believe you're right. Now that you mention it, yeah. Because once he, because once, because Sylvester Stallone, once he got the, his power up, you know, so to speak, mm-hmm. and he had more of a say so. You know, they was like, okay, we trust you, because this wasn't his first time directing either. I mean, he obviously was directing uh, the Rocky movies after part one, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, and then, you know, his movies had been so successful, they were like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, right. The third one, he did not direct. That was Peter McDonald, I believe. Um, but, yeah, like this first one, he still has that instinct, though. That's the thing about Stallone. Mm-hmm. And... He has an instinct for what the audience would, you know, want to see. But at the same time, as a storyteller, too, you know, he has great instincts as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the cast and, you know, Stallone himself and kind of this, this movie 
from that perspective because like what you're saying about Stallone in terms of success, it's kind of, yeah. And then kind of, eh, not so much. Mm. Uh, you know, Stallone obviously plays, you know, John Rambo, Johnny, Johnny. Yes. Are you there, Johnny? <laughs> uh, Richard Krenner plays uh, Colonel Troutman. Brian Denny, he plays Will Teasel, the, uh, the sheriff. Yes. David Caruso plays Mitch, one of the uh, <laughs> lieutenant sheriffs, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then Jack Starrett plays Art, who ends up ultimately mm-hmm. falling out of the helicopter and bashing his head <laughs> on the rocks. <laughs> yeah. And, and very, very del- deservedly so. But yes. as far as this movie goes, like before this film, Stallone had done, you know, he'd done other things, a lot of, a lot of small parts in, in, in other movies, bunches of small itty bitty parts. He was basically a struggling C-level actor. But he had done the first three Rockies, which mm-hmm. were all majorly successful, super successful. Yeah. So this is this is after Mr. T. This is after Rocky and Apollo Creed become friends and, and fight at the end of Apollo, uh, Rocky Three. So this is they're super successful. But he'd also done some things where he was just trying stuff like Nighthawks. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> Fist. Had, had, didn't he do Fist? Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and Paradise Alley and and you know, so none of those were successful. So it was kind of like okay, you really got Rocky, dog. That's really all you got. <laughs> you know what I mean from the studio perspective. That's what they were thinking. You really just got Rocky. And we yeah. went Rocky. But we'll know about this right here, you know. But that's so crazy how busy he was in those intervening years. I mean, yeah. he was he was yeah. on a run. I know in one of our previous episodes when we were talking about Spielberg, how Spielberg went on a run. But mm. that was over the course of several years. With mm-hmm. Stallone, he tried to go on a run in a compacted two or three years, like back to back to back to back. Some were some OKs. He had some big hits. And then some mm-hmm. were misses. But yeah. it was just the fact of in that period of time, that two or three years, he was just, he had the power to just make movies, make them, make them, make them, yeah. yeah. you know? And, and that was that was a different day than, you know, the day that we live in now where a movie star of a certain stature could sell a movie on on the poster and get people to come to theaters. So mm-hmm. Stallone was the kind of star. He was probably one of the biggest male male actors and, and male movie stars in the world at that time. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you could put him on a poster and people would say, oh, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, yeah. I love Rocky. I'm going to check that out. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul Paul Newman. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Uh, you know, eventually, you know, it gets to other people. You know, Al Pacino could sell a movie. Robert De Niro could sell a movie. Yeah, Tom Cruise uh, eventually. Tom Cruise, Robert Redford. Uh, I'm trying to think of some some of the uh, some actresses who fall in that. You know, Julia Roberts at one point. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Like now, maybe after The Woman King, you know, Viola Davis is kind of ascending into that. You know, she's in a big blockbuster. Yeah. Not just not just known for her acting, but she's in a blockbuster that you know that did really well. So that mm-hmm. kind of puts her in a in a little different category than she was before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of others. Um, you know, certainly like Meryl Streep. Yeah. You know, once you know, once she did, you know, she, you could put her in a movie and people were like, oh, Meryl Streep, okay, oh, I'm, okay. I'm, gonna go ch- I'm gonna go check it out. You know, so so he he could kind of do that. Yeah. And nowadays the role or the character or the series because everything is either IP based or character based or whatever. That's mm-hmm. what people are paying to see. So now, you know, you have a movie like The Gray Man that comes out on Netflix and it's, you know, made it made it for a hundred million dollars. The Russo brothers directed it. And it's got uh Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans in it and a bunch of other people. And literally you could swap Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans and they could play the same yep. each other's parts and the movie doesn't change. Right. Yep. It just it doesn't change at all. You know, there's there's nothing particular about them as actors and as as presences on screen. Uh, that's really any different from the other. And so, you know, now it's just, okay, if you like Gray Man, okay, anybody could be Gray Man next time, you know. And that's true. And I think also Stallone is such a magnetizing performer and a presence and has that, his unique particular charisma that mm-hmm. really draws you through the movie along with him from right. the very beginning. You know right. what I'm saying? Um, and, and again, it's that whole... <sighs> As Americans, we identify, you know, very readily with the underdog. Each of us, you know, in our particular way, you know, considers ourselves an underdog. You know, even mm-hmm. even when you're the min- even when you're the majority, 
somehow you still think of yourself as the minority. Exactly. You know, my exactly. voice is not being heard. You know what I'm saying? Right. Thus, that's why the audience identifies with Rocky, not Rocky, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, with Rocky, yes. <laughs> yeah. But with, but with Rambo, I would say, you know, mm -hmm. because he, you know, has those very American particular qualities of, okay, when he's escorted out of town by the sheriff, the sheriff drives him to like the county line or whatever it is, the edge mm -hmm. of town. It's like, here you go, you know, Portland's that way, you know, and the sheriff drives off and Rambo kind of ponders for a moment. It was like, no, no, I'm not going to just be put out of this town. I wasn't doing anything. And he right. heads back in the direction of the town, much to the sheriff's chagrin. And that's what mm -hmm. kicks off the whole thing, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's that American quality of saying, no, be, let me be defiant, but defiant against you know the, the establishment the, the, the establishment exactly it's like it's like the, the 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 english settlers who come from britain who you know who felt like they were being persecuted by the church and and by high taxes or whatever and so they come over here in defiance you know i'm, I'm gonna go my own way you know they i'm gonna rebel and and and, and, and create my own you know and you know I, rebellion is absolutely a, a a very american quality uh, although at the same time, you know, everybody wants everybody to behave, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm, like it's, mm -hmm. it, there's that contradiction there that, uh, that exists. But, um, this movie again, I, do you think this movie sets up? Cause it didn't do anything for, for Richard Krenner. Richard Krenner's only other real credit other than this is body heat where he plays, uh, <laughs> Kathleen Turner's husband. But does mm -hmm. this do something for Brian Dennehy as a, as a character actor? Cause he'd done semi tough and 10, he was uh he was in foul play and then after this you know like he does FX and FX two he does um uh, presumed innocent with Harrison Ford um he does that boxing movie with uh Cuba, was it Cuba Gooding oh yeah Gladiator yeah Gladiator he does that you know he does a lot of things he actually shows up in the remake of Assault on Precinct thirteen I know you don't like that but uh, <laughs> but, but he's he's steady he steady works. You know, and he and he stays in that character actor lane. He's always like mm -hmm. the fourth or fifth person in the credits. You know, he's he's after maybe the first first second or third lead, and yeah. Uh, but and he but solid always gives you that performance that you want. He you know he's he never never truly disappoints to me in my opinion. No, you know, absolutely not. And he was very much omnipresent in a lot of movies that I grew up on. You know, Santa Dad would watch as a kid. You know, mm -hmm. he's definitely one of those character actors, like you're saying, that you would always see him in those, in, in a lot of dramatic and, you know, action roles, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying, for sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And in and even in comedy, although he wasn't funny, but he played the uh, the father in Tommy Boy. <laughs> oh, that's right, Remember? he sure did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he has the heart attack, he passes away in the beginning of the film, which is the inciting incident, which, you know, sets that movie off, but... yeah. Um, I, I wanted to talk about some of the trivia. Do you have? Did you read up a, or, or do a lot of a deep diving on the trivia behind this movie? Uh, yeah, some, some. Um, one of the neat things that I, you know, had come across is is that you know originally Colonel Troutman was a t intended for Kirk Douglas. You know, Kirk Douglas was supposed to play Colonel Troutman. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, Kirk Douglas is very, very upstanding and you know the style the very theatrical style that kirk douglas brings to his roles you mm -hmm. know they said kirk douglas came up there he was in uniform he was in costume he worked one day he did one day and said you know what nah nah this ain't, I'm this ain't for none of me this ain't for none of me <laughs> he got back on the helicopter and they flew him back to california <laughs> Back, so this, back oh. to brag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I was back at brag now. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so they so they were hustling like, oh my god, what, what are we gonna do? Yeah. yeah, and they pulled out Richard Krenner, who I think really he was the better choice. He was the perfect choice. He was understated enough as an actor because he hadn't had a lot of credits before then, like you said, Body Heat and a couple other things, you know. So well, he, he, had, was, he had done a lot of stuff, but nothing, you know, he wasn't like, known. He wasn't a face, you know, right. or name. Yeah. Right. Like, like he wouldn't have, he would, like, Kirk Douglas would have competed with Stallone on the marquee. You know what I'm saying? It would have been Sylvester Stallone and Kirk Douglas in First Blood, as opposed yeah. to Sylvester Stallone in First Blood. 
You know right. what I'm it, saying? It basically would have been Rocky versus Spartacus, yo. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and I don't think Kirk Douglas, I think that would have been an interesting choice to have him play Troutman. I think that would have been a, a, uh, an interesting energy to bring to that character. And I, I had heard other names too, like maybe Burt Lancaster hmm. at one point. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and others and I think like even for for the character of John Rambo, uh, originally they had you know they had talked about Clint Eastwood, uh, they talked about Robert De Niro, and there was Steve McQueen because uh, he wanted to Steve, ride the motorcycle. Steve McQueen, uh, Michael Douglas, even. Uh, yes, yes, Michael Hell Douglas, no. even. They had okay. even gotten to a point where they I think they offered it to De Niro. Or approached De Niro and approached Al Pacino of all people. Oh, oh! All five foot seven of him, yo. That's you what know I'm what I mean? Like, no. <laughs> and and not, not that much taller. But no, no. I, I couldn't picture Pacino doing the same thing. <laughs> Pacino, about, you want to walk, huh? You want to walk, huh? <laughs> Give me all you got. Give me all you got. <laughs> But yeah, they, they went through a lot of names. Also, too, for Will Teasel, that's what it was. For Will Teasel, they had approached Burt Lancaster, hmm. and they had approached Robert Duvall. Now, that would have been that interesting. That would have been straight, yeah. That would have been really cool there for him to play uh, play the sheriff. But um, this was based on a novel by an act, a writer named David Morell, I think his correct. name is. That's okay. correct. And it spent 10 years in development hell, so that's why it goes through all these cycles of you know, who's the popular actor now? That's why, like, you have all these different generations in the names we just mentioned. You know, mm-hmm. you have your your Kirk Douglas and your Steve McQueen and your Clint Eastwood, uh, Clint Eastwood up here. And then you have the next guard would be, like, De Niro and Pacino. And then after that, you have, like, a Michael Douglas and, you know, maybe somebody after after that. So, you know, it, it makes sense that it took them 10 years to finally get this thing to, uh, you know, in, you know on, uh, on film. And then also with that as well, you're talking about generations. Mm-hmm. It also, even though they're faithful to the book in terms of the main plot, you also have to consider the question of as a as a contemporary audience, you're wondering why are they really why are they pushing Rambo around? Like right. seriously, why are they talking about he has long hair when long hair was in was kind of in vogue in the late 70s and the very early 80s. You know what I'm right. saying? What would be the problem? You know, well, but the reason is, is that the book was written at the very tail end of the 60s while the war was still going on. Mm-hmm. And you had this whole hippie movement as well. You know what I'm saying? And the long hairs versus the conservatives. Right. You know? So right. at the time the book was released, that was something that was really going on in the world in America at that time. So that's why that's a holdover, you know, with the characters as far as like their uh, motivations as well. And to some extent, like, like what you're saying, I mean, in 1982, people had long hair and mullets and, yeah, you know, and, and quaffs. And I mean, a lot of that was, that was a thing. So it kind of doesn't work in the sense of like you're saying, you know, they probably should have updated it. But at the same time, they set it in this very, very small out of the way town where probably a lot of culture is a few years behind. This is a town full of laggers. This, these aren't even yeah. late adapters. These are laggers. <laughs> so, you know, for them, you know, they like, you know, Will Teasel tells, you know, Rambo in the car. We like it boring here. We want mm-hmm. it boring. We don't want any excitement. Yeah. And and that was kind of the other thing, too. Like, you know, why were they pushing him? You know, he tells him, you know, why are you pushing me? You know, right. and that's when Teasel gets pissed off. It's all that scene almost reminded me of the scene in Shawshank Redemption where. Um, where Tim Robbins character is talking to the uh, the warden of the prison mm-hmm. and they're kind of getting along pretty amicably because he's helping the warden do his books and all of that. And the warden likes all of that. And then he gets mad, not mad, but he gets upset with the warden. He calls him obtuse, and that yeah. sets the warden up. What'd you say to me? Mm-hmm. What'd you say to me? And that's and that's kind of what happens with Ramble and Will Teasel, where he says, why are you pushing me? Hey, you don't ask the questions around here. I ask the questions. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He immediately turn, goes from officer friendly into... You know, uh, you know, uh, you know. Let's let's take him in the bathroom and you know n- knock him around a little bit and make him. You know, he turns into that guy. You know, at that yeah. point, he yeah. gets he, get, he gets pissed off. But um, but that was kind of the thing I mentioned to you too in our text exchange. 
talking about the movie. I was like, they treated John Rambo like he was a minority in the wrong part yeah. of town, yo. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like he you, was. It, it's funny. You. That is a great point. Like you easily. And I, and I transposed that while I was watching it too. Like, what if John Rambo was black? What if John Rambo was Latino? It would be like, yeah. dang, or, that actually works. Yeah, or even like in the in the twenties and thirties and forties, where it's like, okay, you're an Irish Catholic Italian, or yeah. you know, Irish Catholics need not apply. What are you doing over here? Or you know, I, the Irish, you know, the Irish mm-hmm. Mick, you know, what are you doing on this side of town? We'll kick your ass. It's like, I mean, they just treated them like, damn, you know. And I'm thinking. This is a town full of, you know, what I would perceive to be conservatives. Mm-hmm. This guy is, it's not hard to figure out that he used to be in the military. He's wearing a green army jacket. He's got on his, his combat boots. Yeah. Why, why are you hassling him? And even in the book, Will Teasel's character, they don't, if you look in, the, in Will's office, you can see he's got military paraphernalia and medals and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and little things on the wall. So in the book, he actually served in the Korean War. That's right. But so that's why I was so confused. Like, okay, why are you giving this guy shit? I mean, he's just, you know, but I guess he did. Maybe he's, you know, he said it several times. He smelled. He had long hair. They thought maybe he was a hippie. A lot of hippies would wear army jackets and, you know, and smoke weed and, you know, and yeah. kind of sleep on the streets or whatever. So maybe th- maybe that's truly what they thought he was. And, and then also there's a couple of parts in the movie as well where a couple of the other characters bring up. You know, while, you know, Teasel is there, it was like, hey, Will, um, you know, the, the, the deputies were kind of hard on him, you know, right. and he kind of pushes it to the side. Like, yeah, ah. yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'll deal with that. I'll deal with that. Because, you know, yeah. he knew he was in the wrong. He knew it happened. Right. You know? Right. And, 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 and as the movie progresses, you see why Will and Art are friends, because they're the same kind of guy in, in many ways. You know what I mean? Will is just smarter than Art is, but they're both like, oh, it's going to be my way or the highway. You know, uh, I'm going to get I'm I'm not going to get pushed around. You're going to do what I say. I I don't have to do what you say. You do what I say. So you Mm -hmm. kind of get a sense of of why they're friends. But um, and and to that to that extent, as far as the you know, him being an outsider and a drifter and then kicking everybody's ass. Some of First Blood had a little bit to me of the DNA of Billy Jack in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, this yes. you know, outsider who can fight and he takes on the, you know, the kind of conservative establishment or whatever. And, um, and um, you know, and, and I mean, Billy Jack is not certainly not the movie that First Blood is in terms of uh, it's a it's long term <laughs> appeal and rewatchability. But it is a, it is a, it is a classic film. But it's a good yo, movie. I, for sure. I was cracking up because. When Rambo uh, runs out of the, uh, he, 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 he does the jailhouse escape. He beats down all the deputies. You know, Mitch, uh, Will Caruso's character's like, yeah, he, he ran through the three of us, you know, like, like we wasn't nothing. Like we you weren't know? there. <laughs> yeah. And he runs out on the street and then he, he does the, this might be the first time I've ever seen this, except maybe in a military movie where a guy's riding by on a motorcycle. He kind of snatches him off the motorcycle. You know, yeah. and they kind of, uh, and then, the, you know, the bike falls <laughs> and then he, he jumps on the bike and he takes off. And they're chase. Will is chasing him in the squad car, and at one point I'm like, okay, why is Rambo popping wheelies? What is he trying to show off or some shit, yo? <laughs> you know, you know, you're not gonna get there any faster popping wheelies, right, Johnny? <laughs> man, that shit. Hey, man, that shit turned into a Blues Brothers movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> down to down to the squad car going off the side of the road. <laughs> we got you. We got you. Rebels running up the up the hill, up the mountain. We got you. You're not going anywhere. We're gonna get you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> but, but you know, the the other thing too, while you're talking about him being chased up into the mountains, up into the woods, you know, mm-hmm. that part there where he kind of starts to bring the war home, so to speak, you know, and mm-hmm. it's almost like he brings those guerrilla tactics that he learned over in Nam and in his special forces training to bear against the deputies. It's like, and even David Caruso's character, Mitch, you know, who's the prescient one in all of this, he right. sums it up. He says, huh, we're, we're hunting him? No, he's hunting us. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then they start to, and that's the thing. And there's probably a, 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 an official writing term for it where they know, even though it's one man, they know they're in over their head and they know for a fact that they're wrong. This is a mm-hmm. decorated Green Beret, you know, purple uh, Medal of Honor. Medal of uh, Honor, know, yeah. Yeah, all of that stuff. He's uh, come back from the, serving his country and, you know, you're going to shoot him on the side of the road like a dog just because he wouldn't do what you say and because he wouldn't get a haircut and he wouldn't. He wouldn't let you shave his face with this straight razor, and he went, you know, straight PTSD trauma. You know, I'm, you know, he had he had one of them flashbacks, yo. You know, uh, <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, they know they're wrong. They know they're dead wrong, and yet they they continue on. But Brian Dennehy was the proverbial fat donut eating cop. Well, I was just like, okay, sit your portly ass down. You are not tough, dude. You are not tough. Rambo left the sheriff's office with only his Bowie knife and yeah. wrecked shop. Wrecked shop. <laughs> he did, and it was great. And you know, one of and I thought one of the best moments, you know, that you know, kind of, even though um, Brandon He Teasel is the antagonist, you know, right? A, there's a there's a trend these days to kind of um, uh, not 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 victimize. That's not the word I'm looking for make the audience empathize with the antagonist or the villain. You right, know, like, right. oh, the villain's just as important as the protagonist. You know, this is one of those times where it actually worked. You know what I'm saying? You kind of start from his side, even though he was still wrong. Right. I love the part where after he's gone through all the deputies, Rambo, you know, set all the traps and ambush the deputies, and it's just Will left, and the woods are filled with his deputies calling for him. Will! Will help Will Right, right. And he's like, where are you guys? And then it comes Rambo. I could have killed them all. I could have killed you. And telling you the law. I hear it's me. Don't push it. Don't push it, I'll give you a war you won't believe. Let it go. Then yep. he just starts sobbing because he said, uh, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." I mean, Brian Dennehy is easily four, five, six inches taller than Stallone is. He's a, he's and he's a bigger guy than Stallone is. But when Stallone puts that boy knife to his neck, yo, he just turns into a, into a, a little child. He's just like, "Hey, yeah. hey!" And, and he tells him, "Yeah, let it go, let, let it go." It go. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> My two favorite scenes in the movie, and the and I think I was trying to think back. The first time I saw this, yeah. I think I only saw part of it. I was over at Vince's house again. It's, I famously mentioning <laughs> Vince. Vince was the only one who had cable, and he was yeah. watching Rambo on cable. Yeah. And it was the scene where the sheriffs are in the woods, and it's dark and it's rainy, yeah. and they're, they're all flanking out, and they're trying to trying to basically close in on Stallone. And then all of a sudden, you know, like one of them walks by this tree, and then the camera pans up. And you mm. you know it's and it's out of focus, but you you think it's just leaves and branches up there, but it's Stallone acting like a yeah. pair, you know, a bush up on top of the tree, and then he jumps down and hey, guess old boy, yeah. And then you know Mitch comes around the corner, he comes behind Mitch, stabs him in his ass or in his in his leg, yo, yeah. and, it's like, <laughs> and so that's that's one of my favorite scenes where, like you said, one by one, they're all like, well, well, back. <laughs> My my favorite is the uh, is the dude who steps on the trap and then the, the spikes come up on the and stab him in the legs. Yeah. He's like ah, ah and then Will has to put his gun down to try to take the spikes out of his legs and then he just collapses. Yeah. And um and also two old boy with his dogs, you know, his dog he goes, like, Come get him, come get him. You know, and then he shoots old boy and he's like he says, Go up and get her, girl, and she goes, <laughs> and then they don't see the dog from in and they hear you have to shoot him. You, you have to do. You have to do nothing to my dogs. Go, y'all go get, get him. Go get him. <laughs> <laughs> but he takes them down one by one, and yeah. and that's when they bring in the military. And that's my second favorite scene. Of course, is when you know they have the national guard and the reserves there, and you know, and the uh, the county, the other county police are coming in. 
you know, there's like 200 people out here searching for Rambo in these woods, these very dense woods. And presumably all of these people who live in this town, they know this area. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they know it better than he does. But then while they're in their tent and they're, they're you know, they're trying to get their, uh, their, uh, their strategy together. Colonel Troutman shows up with his beret and his trench coat and his, he says, yeah, I came to get my boy. You know, <laughs> who's your boy? John <laughs> Rambo. I trained him. God in heaven to make a man like Rambo. God didn't make Rambo. I made him. Who the hell are you? Sam Trotman. Colonel Samuel Trotman. And of course, Teasel is, you know, pushing back on that. You know, we got this. We got 200 men out here. You know, he doesn't say anything about Rambo basically, you know, uh, uh, beat, you know, be- beating his his trained deputies, you know, down, <laughs> you know, and you even hear the newscaster. They were only saved by their their advanced training or whatever. Oh, come on, man. Oh, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he, he and oh, Troutman man. are going head to head and they're butting heads because Troutman is saying, hey, just, you know, let me let me get him. And no, we got this. We don't need you. I think you're down here because one of your one of your war machines, you know, uh, uh, malfunctioned. Pop- you know, malfunction, yeah, and, and now you're trying, yeah. yeah, pop the gasket, and now you're trying to cover your ass or whatever. But Troutman tells him, he says, you don't understand what you're dealing with. He's an expert in guerrilla warfare. Guns, weapons, his bare hands. He, he's, he's been taught to live, live off the land, ignore the elements. He can eat things that would make a billy goat puke. <laughs> and, then, and he tells him, yeah, you're going to need something else. A good supply of body bags. Body bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, show. But I loved it, and I loved the idea of Troutman as you know the former mentor who's coming back and basically trying to talk, you know, his his guy down off a cliff, you know, out of this situation. And again, everybody around, everybody in the nucleus knows it. He's really the only one who's going to be able to get to this guy. He's the only one. Mm-hmm. He's the only mm-hmm. one. But you know, uh, another f- funny scene for me that I thought was hilarious. Uh, is before the uh, the National Guard guys uh, blow up the mine with the uh, bazooka or whatever they, whatever they call that that gun that they yeah. put on their shoulder. Um, the natural lighting in that tunnel when he sights, lights the fire and he cooks the the boar and then he and then he's you know he puts the fire on his uh, stick and he's walking through or whatever. The natural yeah. lighting in there was gorgeous. That was fantastic. I loved it, yo. Yes, um, yes. Mm-hmm. But the but the funny scene was is when the National Guard guys are lined up. And Stallone starts shooting back, and they're like, all right, so-and-so, you go down there, and you go see if he's dead. I ain't going Uh-oh. down there. You go down there. I ain't going down there. Hey, man, look, I only come out here on weekends. I'd come out here to get killed. <laughs> you <your> weekend warriors? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and the fact, the, the, the way that they were bickering reminded me of the, uh, the, the, the hood and the bag scene in Django, where they were like, who made these bags? So-and-so's wife made these bags. These bags, goddammit, they're itching and the eyes don't match. My, I can't breathe in this son of a bitch. Okay, the next time, we'll let you make bags. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that, was, that was hilarious to me that was absolutely hilarious but oh man but you 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 know you were talking about that that cave scene and the lighting in that yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and that brings me to a couple of my favorite scenes as well i mean i already mentioned one where he's mm-hmm. going through the tunnel you know trying yeah. to find his way out that's mm-hmm. for me that that's that may be my favorite scene mm-hmm. uh, but my next favorite scene also is just slightly before that where he's eating the board that he's cooking over the mm-hmm. fire and they're trying to triangulate where he is based on his radio signal. And they can't get him to yeah. answer. Yeah. He had stolen but, a radio off of one of the uh, deputies, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Troutman comes on. Kobe leader to Johnny. Kobe leader to Johnny. This is oh, Raven, yes. over. Yes. Yo, and he starts naming yes. Becker team, over. Rebel, yeah. Messner, Ortega, Coletta, Jorgensen, Danforth, Barry, Krakow, Raven, over. They're all dead, sir. No, All no. There's like a there's like a gap for a while, and they're thinking yeah. he's not gonna answer. He's not gonna answer. He knows yeah. if he answers, we'll know where he is. And, he, and like you said, he comes in. They're all gone, sir. They're all dead. You know. Even uh, Danforth. He, yeah, and he says, yeah, just yeah. He, he got took down by cancer. You know, came back Agent Orange or whatever. You know, Vietnam and cancer ate him up. You know, his family says he was skin and bones when they when they buried him or whatever. You know, it was yeah. Like, oh, I love that scene. Yes, and, yes. It did the beginning of that whole back and forth between you know Troutman and Rambo. Well, well, Johnny, we can't have you out here wasting innocent civilians. There are no innocent civilians, sir. <laughs> you yeah, know? and he tells them they drew first blood, not me. Not me. 
Yeah. Yeah, yo. Yes. And I, the thing that I love too was is again, he's just a drifter at first. Then they find out that he's an ex Green Beret. And he's a soldier who, who served this country in the war, and his name is yeah. John Rambo. Then mm-hmm. when Troutman comes along, now he's humanized even further. Johnny. He's Johnny. He has a nickname now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now he mm-hmm. has a familiar. Now we see that he has a life and he has connections outside of just being this drifter. And so that kind of brings it all home. And again, it brings home the dead wrongness of Will Teasel and his his sheriff's department in terms of how they're treating this guy. Um, and absolutely. Also, yeah. And then also even further at the end of the movie, it's almost like, you know, Troutman, you know, he becomes a definitely a father figure, you know, obviously, but he also becomes a listening board. You know, that great, great performance, probably one of the strongest ever by Stallone at the end where he's relating and Trotman is just there listening. He's like, let me just let him talk. He has no one to talk to about this. This is probably the first time in years that he's let all these emotions come out, you know? And you just see it on Troutman's face, on Richard Crenna's face, listening to yeah. Stallone just recount all this stuff. And, oh, man, that, see, it, I, it gets I, me every time. Back there, I could fly a gunship. I could drive a tank. I was in charge of million-dollar equipment. Back here, I can't even hold a job. Fucking guys! Every time, every time, and I was going to ask you, I was one of my, my, my one question, I was one of two questions I was going to ask you was, is, is this, is Stallone's breakdown at the end when he's with Troutman or Rambles when he's with Troutman, is that his finest acting performance, his finest moment? Be. Because, I mean, Rocky is great. Mm-hmm. Rocky 2 is good. Rocky 3 is great. But Rocky 1 is a special, is oh, very, sure. very special. Of course. But this, this was moving to me in a very different way because... Throughout the course of the entire movie, Stallone doesn't say much. He's very silent and stoic mm-hmm. and to himself. He, he doesn't speak much at all. And then this is the first time we really get a sense of what's going on in his head and what he has in his chest. And, you know, he's in the ammunition shop or, he, no, excuse me, he's in the police station. He shot up Will. Will's not dead, but, you know, he's got Will in his crosshairs and getting ready to execute him. And you know the other cops are 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 beating a path back to the uh, back to the to the sheriff's office, and then Krenna, who knows that he's still alive and knows you know okay what he's probably going to do, he's going to try to see if he can he can get to Will Teasel, and so Krenna shows up in the back of the police the the sheriff's office and you know you know all right Johnny this mission is over it's not over it's over when I say it's over right this, this wasn't my war it's your war you didn't ask I didn't ask to go in you asked me. He says, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, I go over there and, you know, I serve my country. You know, I'm doing what I'm told to do. I did what I had to do to win. 
And then I, you know, I, I, I you know, over there, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm working, you know, million dollar pieces of machinery and airships. You know, I come back here and I can't even get his job. Bucket cars. cars. And, he, <laughs> and then, and then he, you know, he falls apart talking about being oh, in Vietnam man. and with his buddy. And then his buddy gets blown up. And his buddy is still alive, and his and his and his guts and his innards are hanging out, and he's trying to put them back inside of himself. And but he can't find his legs. He can't find he can't his find legs, his and he's like, and he's just bawling like a baby. Yeah. And then that's you talking about the father. That's when Krina comes down and kneels before him, and he actually like 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 uh, you know just embraces him and like holds him, you know, almost like a broken child or whatever. It was yeah. so great and such good acting from Stallone. Mm-hmm. Um, where I was just I was really 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 moved by that, and like you said, it's. He's he's so quiet and he says so very little. The strong silent type, literally throughout the course of the whole movie up until that point, it's almost worth it to get to that last scene where you're just like, oh my gosh, this just <laughs> let all of the air out of the balloon, and you just feel you just feel you feel you feel him in that instance. Um, let me ask you: Did you know that they changed the ending? Yes, because I know that. They were debating, should we have Troutman shoot him, shoot Rambo, or should we have Rambo live? And even in the bar, even in the bar where Teasel and uh, Troutman are talking, he was like, uh, are you going to give him a big sloppy kiss or are you going to shoot him when you see him? And Troutman, you know, kind of has that pregnant pause. It's like, well, I don't know. I have to see him face to face before I know, before I can answer that. Yeah. Yeah. So even then, they're still playing with that, you know? Right, right. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, in the book, Rambo shoots Teasel, and Teasel shoots Rambo, mm. and Rambo doesn't die, and Rambo is about to get a gun, uh, or is uh, is going to shoot Teasel again and kill him, yeah. and Troutman, Troutman kills Rambo. If I'm not mistaken, mm. that's what happens. In, if I'm not mistaken, in the book, mm. but okay. they actually shot a scene at the end where they're in the sheriff's office, and Troutman shoots Rambo and kills him. Ah, oh, see, and he, and he dies be. in his arms. And I think they showed it to a test audience, and it didn't work. No, they didn't like mm-hmm. it. It wasn't. It did. It just didn't feel right. It felt like, oh God, because at that point, you know, all of the mayhem and uh, all of the maiming and all of the blowing up of buildings and gas stations and, you know, all the destruction that this one guy caused this, this little, uh, podunk pack of lunch, pack of lunch town in, in pack of lunch, uh, Washington. Um, you were still as an audience member, you're still on his side. You know what I'm saying? Right. He's mm-hmm. still who I side with. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, like Mark Twain did in, in Huckleberry Finn where, you know, Huckleberry Finn goes on the road with this escaped slave and yeah. that really makes Huck a criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes him a criminal, and even like from a from a biblical perspective, you know he's, you know he's he's wrong. He's morally wrong, and he's 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 a criminal at that point. But as an audience member or as a reader, you side with Huck because you understand why Huck is doing it. You know what right. I'm saying? It's one of the it's one of the beauties of storytelling in characters where. Even though somebody's in the wrong, you still want them to succeed because you feel the rightness down, down deep underneath them or, you know, within their situation. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I was just thinking as well in that same feature I mentioned earlier, uh, the director, Ted Kotcheff, said that they did show, like you said, they did show it to a test audience mm-hmm. and they showed the ending of Rambo being shot by Troutman. <laughs> and Kotcheff said it was all silent. And somebody down front stood up in the audience and said, if the director of this movie is in here, I'm going to string him up from the closest streetlight for this ending. <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of the thing, too, with, with, with filmmaking. You know, it's, it's such a, a wide endeavor in terms of the crews and, you know, and the heads and second ADs and other people who are making decisions. Yeah. Where really they say the editing of the movie really is the second time you direct it. It's really mm. a second time that you're actually directing the film, you know. And so with that, you know, oftentimes they'll say, yeah, we we just knew going into the test audience, we knew we had it in the can. And then when the audience didn't laugh in the right places or when they weren't sad in the right places or when they didn't react as expected, 
they're like, oh, no, no, no. And went right back in and chopped it up, chopped it up, chopped it up, chopped it up, chopped it up. And then, you know, and then this this is what you have. But, yeah, that that's hilarious because it really does feel satisfying, one, that he he lives because he wasn't wrong. Yeah. You know, and, it, and in the book, you know, Rambo kills endless amounts of people. In the movie, right. he doesn't kill anybody intentionally. Um, mm-hmm. Art Galt dies, but he, he dies His because— His own stupidity. Yeah, his own stupidity, and Stallone is just defending himself with a rock, literally like David and Goliath, you know. Mm, mm. You know, so um, but he doesn't kill anybody in the movie. But I mean, it's just one of those things where you you didn't want him to die, but he had caused so much mayhem and so much destruction. You you did want him to kind of pay for it in a way on some level. It's yeah, like okay, of you, you you can't ride off in the sunset. We know that's not going to happen. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought that was you know that was. You know that was that was great. Um, we got to talk about since we're talking about the ending of the movie, man. We got to talk about that whack ass Dan Hill song over the closing Ooh, credits. <laughs> it's only the beginning. It's a long, a long road. It's a long road when you're on your own, and it hurts when they tear your dreams apart. <laughs> man i was listening i was like and that was kind of the thing with the score this is a jerry goldsmith score mm-hmm. and, he, and he actually wrote that theme dan Golds. i mean excuse me dan hill sings it and he may have written the lyrics but uh jerry goldsmith wrote the music wrote the, and wrote the melody Oh, so, it's so it's so bucolic, like, and so rustic at the beginning of the movie. You're thinking it's right. like, you, you almost expect Opie and Andy Griffith to come walking down with their yeah. fishing poles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, for me, it was, um, the thing about it was, like, there were points in the movie, like, in the, like <clears throat> you said in the beginning, where Ramble's walking to his, uh, was it Danforth? Is that the, uh? Danforth, Yeah. Then he goes to Danforth's family's house and he's walking and there's all these sweeping romantic strings yeah. and, you know, it's very sentimental and wistful and you're like, okay, you know. And then when you get into the meat of the action, then it turns into thriller. That low end piano. You know, where it's really going into the, you know, thriller mode. And then at the end, it goes back into this kind of weepy. You know, uh, whatever, you know, song with Dan Hill, which, you know, Dan Hill had all these love ballads from the 70s and 80s. (laughs) Can't we try just a little bit harder? Can't we give just a little more? Love you so much, baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's it. (laughs) But hard to believe this movie as like you said as action-packed as it is and and like you said you know the action feels more like the 70s than it does the 80s even though this was released in 1982 it feels more like 78 79 than it does 1980 like two years later you know where we get like beverly hills cop and mm-hmm. you know and, and die hard and all these you know die hard i guess maybe six years later on uh, 88 yeah, but then, but yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, in '85 we get Rambo two, and it's a 180 from what yeah. this is. Yeah, now he's yeah. just almost monosyllabic, just like right, 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 grunting he, and just shooting RPGs and just and he he becomes more brutish, less sympathetic, more jingoistic, right. and uh, mm-hmm. and kind of uh, you know. You know, kill the yellow man, kill the brown man. You know, it's like it kind yeah. of becomes kind of that as opposed to this misunderstood character, which is what we get in the in the beginning. But but yeah, yeah even though um, it is very violent and it is, you know, a, a super wonderful uh, rewatch. Didn't you point out on a previous episode? Maybe we did an episode talking about action movies. Didn't they have like toys that came out, action figures and a cartoon of Rambo? Absolutely. And I, I had a Rambo action figure growing up. And this was after the second movie came out. Uh-huh. And uh, there was a cartoon. There was a Nintendo video game, you know. And all of this was not based on First Blood. All of this is based on the second one. Because the second one is obviously much more populous and mm-hmm. much more in line with the um, 
politics of the time, shall we say. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And you also have it fall in line with the new type of action movie that's coming out as well. You had Commando also come out in 85. You know, there were several other, you know, of those type of very big movies like that. Um, Missing in Action, those movies had started, you know, by mm -hmm. then as well. So the Rebo character kind of falls in line with those, with that crop of movies that was coming to the forefront during that time. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, it's crazy how this character went from, you know, this um, sympathetic <coughs> PTSD, you know, ex-soldier mm -hmm. into like gradually as the series progresses, he becomes like this unstoppable, <laughs> like, 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 like he's the Punisher or something. Like he's a superhero, right. you know, and I'll, I'll, I fully admit as a child, I loved Rambo 2. I saw Rambo 3 in the theater with my mother. You know what I'm saying? And I okay. loved those things, you know? Mm -hmm. I didn't see First Blood until I was an adult, until I was in my early 20s. And once I saw First Blood, it, like, invalidated all the rest of the Rambos for me. It was so like, that, I can't believe this. That's this so crazy. interesting that you, as even as a teenager, I guess... Uh, you know, you saw the ramp, you know, the sequels and you're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. But once yes. you saw the first one, you immediately knew how superior it was. Absolutely. Like yeah. immediately upon watching it. And it's one of those things like we always talk about, you know, when we were, when I would read the TV guide, I would see first blood always on cable in the cable mm -hmm. section, you know, and it would just be like, wow, dang, first blood. Is that any, any, any relation to Rambo 2 First Blood, I just didn't know. I didn't mm. realize it I, mm. at all, you know? Okay. And just, yeah, it's crazy. Just once I saw that as an adult, it was like, oh, I, I don't even think I could watch the sequels anymore, you know? So let me ask you this, and this could be a last question unless you've got something else, but... Sure. Where do you think First Blood falls as far as, like, let's say if they were going to be top three... Vietnam vet movies. Now, not Vietnam movies. I think it still mm -hmm. qualifies as a Vietnam movie, but Vietnam vet movies. So I'm talking about something like uh, The War or uh, Coming Home or Born on the Fourth mm. of July or um, I'm trying to think of some others. Uh, Uncommon, um, not Uncommon Valor. Um, no, 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 no. Mm. Jacob's Ladder or Dead Presidents, okay. you know, where, you know, you see the soldiers come back to America. Where do you think this falls in terms of Vietnam vet movies if, it, if there was a top three? Mm, dang, that is a tough-ass question, sir. That is a very good question, in fact. Uh, and I'm glad that you mentioned some of those movies as well because that is a particular subgenre in and of itself. You know, the vet Maybe even home. like a sub-subgenre to some extent. You have Vietnam War movies and then you have Vietnam Ooh. vet movies as the B un or, you know, the A you know, uh, parentheses under Vietnam, Vietnam war movies. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and a lot of times those movies, you know, you have within that, they're either very dramatic, you know, just really dealing with the pathos of it, or they're very populist in the um, sense of like, you know, first blood or even a dead president, you know, right, right, where they have right. like popcorn movie elements to them that make them entertaining right. while still having elements of, you know, the PTSD and dealing with this uh, reinsertion back into society. Right, right, right. In answer to your, now in answer to your question, I would absolutely rank it within the top three. You know, uh, Rambo, well, First Blood would be, <laughs> I would put it number one for me, just in my, my ranking. For, for, for me too, as far as Vietnam vet movies go, I would say, yeah, it's number one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and to round out your my top three, uh, number two would be Dead Presidents. You know, I, I absolutely adore that movie. Same. And then number, th then number three, hmm, hmm. I really That's liked Jacob's Ladder when I saw it back in the day. I haven't seen it in a long time. That's a little too mystical for it me. Is, I was it like, is, I was it like, is, it uh, is. <laughs> as a kid, I was like, what? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, and Born on the Fourth of July, I mean, the Oliver Stone of it all is a little, you know, for me. Um yeah. And, and I didn't think Tom, that was when Tom Cruise was, you know, he would do his big movies, but then he was trying to act. I'm trying to show you I can act. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be, what was the guy named Ron something? Ron Kovic. The, Ron Kovic. Ron Kovic. You know, I'm Ron Kovic in this movie, you know. and But he wasn't too bad, but it just wasn't 
eh, just wasn't uh, yeah. hitting the mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I rem- and also I do remember liking uh, Coming Home with John Voight. It's See, kind of like, was... a t- like a TV movie kind of a vibe. That's funny. It's funny that you say that because it did feel like a TV movie, even though it was a feature film. But yeah. it felt like yeah. something you would see on like a ABC TV movie of the week, kind of. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah. 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 Or, or would, would the Deer Hunter count as that? Even though yes. they have flashbacks to it, yeah. they do yeah. show De Niro coming home and, mm, yeah. now that you say, okay, that's, that's, that's my oh, third that's, one. So, that's my third. Yeah, that's it. There we go. There we so, go. I steal the book. So, there we go. So it's First Blood, <laughs> yes. Dead Presidents, yeah. and the Deer Hunter. Deer and it just Hunter. depends on the day. Right. For me, as to, which, as to which one is number one, two, and three. And we just kind of, you know, rotate them out. So, yeah. Yeah. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.